Hello, I'm Regina Zona, and this is True Confessions of a Still Fabulous Diva. This is my true confession. I have been complicit. So this is a hard one for me because I feel incredibly bad about my complicity. And at this point, I have not really been able to reconcile it. So maybe putting it all out there in this podcast will be the first step. Several years ago, at one of the universities I taught at, I had a colleague who was an incredibly charismatic man. He was jovial and friendly and thoughtful, and he was absolutely obsessed with teaching. He truly cared about shaping the artistic lives of his students. Teaching was what fueled him. And in a way, that was really inspiring. Although he was a young teacher and his zealousness for the betterment of his students wasn't always well-guided, the intention was always for the greater good as he saw it. His method of mentorship teetered between fatherly guidance and supportive best friend. Although he might not admit it, he was desperate to be liked. Even when he was giving tough love, he needed to be needed. And his personal and undivided attention to his students fed that need. And truth be told, most of his students craved the same thing. They were young and impressionable, just trying to find themselves They were young artists who were asked on a daily basis to tap into their vulnerability to grow. And when this gregarious man was there to support them, they felt like they mattered. He had a way of really piercing into your eyes when you were speaking with him. He was very attentive to me and he really valued what I had to say. I know that he respected me as a teacher and as a friend. He often asked me for advice, and he even happily accepted unsolicited advice from me with thought and care. He was always a physically affectionate man. He gave big bear hugs to everyone, me included. The students seemed to love the attention when he would stop them in the hall to give them their daily hug. And when they were feeling down, they could always count on Papa Bear to hold them close and make them feel safe. Truly, at first, I I really didn't think anything of it. The students and the teachers were a family of some sorts, and we all offered our support in whatever way it was needed. However, I started to notice that there were often groupies around his office, female students mostly, who would wait for the moment he opened his door so that he would smile upon them, give them an encouraging word, and 
give them an affectionate hug. And then I noticed that some of those hugs looked rather intimate, perhaps lasting longer than was appropriate, or perhaps they were a little too tight. Then some of the young women who were not his private students would mention to me that they were a little uncomfortable about his unsolicited hugs. One said that she avoided going past his door because she didn't want a hug from him. And they told me that some ladies would accept their hugs slightly unwillingly just because they wanted to please him. I was disappointed to hear this, but all I could say to them was, you know, just try to avoid him. Try not to go past his door. And then I started to hear other things, sometimes from the students and sometimes even from him. Once we were talking about the students, and he mentioned a conversation he had with a particularly attractive young lady who was a freshman at the time. He said to me that he handed her a dime. When she looked a little confused, he said to her, keep that between your knees at all times, implying that she should keep her legs together and not have sex. So when he told me this, I sort of half laughed in shock. I said, you know, you can't say things like that to a student. And he said he was just trying to help her, that she was so beautiful that the boys would want to take advantage of her and that she needed to be prepared. So I just rolled my eyes and I let it go. I learned later that this was actually a regular conversation he had with his female students. Then I heard that there were several male students he would sit down in their lessons and question their sexuality. If he believed that this student was struggling with coming out of the closet, he would press them to admit that they were gay. He told them that suppressing their homosexuality was blocking their ability to be a better singer and artist. And until they were really truthful about who they were, they would never be able to get to the next level in their singing and performing. To my knowledge, these little talks did not result in a student actually coming out to him, although several of them did come out later. I have no doubt that what this man was trying to do was to give these young men a safe space to be themselves. In his mind, that is what he believed. And he thought the answer to any of their singing and performing issues was entirely wrapped up in them hiding their sexuality. But when these young men shared this with me, they said that they felt pressured and uncomfortable, and it impeded their learning process further. Although most of those students stayed with him as a teacher in spite of it. And when they told this to me, all I could do was offer them an ear and tell them that that was none of his business and they shouldn't feel pressured to do anything that they are uncomfortable with and that they should just try to steer the conversation back to the lesson if it was brought up again.
Then there was this time that I asked my colleagues to ask, act as an adjudicator for a mock audition class that I was teaching. One of my students was singing Musetta's Waltz from La Boheme, and in this aria, Musetta is seducing her ex-boyfriend with her voice to make him jealous. So this student was a lovely young lady who was very, very shy and came from a very, very religious background. She sang the aria as best as she could, and the adjudicators gave her some good feedback. My colleague started this monologue about how sexy and sensual this character is, and that when she's singing this aria, she's basically masturbating in front of her boyfriend without actually touching herself. He said to the singer that she needed to feel this sensuality between her legs as she was singing. <laughs> and I was so shocked by what I was hearing. I was absolutely speechless. Whether his intentions about the aria were actually correct or not, he knew that this student was most likely a virgin and would have absolutely no reference point for what he was saying. And it didn't even occur to him that it was incredibly inappropriate for any teacher to say that to a student. Her face turned beet red, and he tried to continue until finally I cut him off and thanked her for her performance and sent her out of the room. He then tried to justify to me what he meant, and I was still so shocked I couldn't even respond. I soon left that job, and in the next year, I learned that the administration had received some complaints from some of the female students. I didn't get the full story, but from what I gathered, these students were working on opera scenes with him, and he again said some incredibly inappropriate things in trying to get them to play the characters more convincingly. And then he got fired. Again, I don't exactly know what grounds uh, he was fired on, but I'm sure that if his sexual misconduct was not the main reason, it was certainly a factor. As he was applying for other jobs, he uh, put my name on his recommendation list without me knowing it. And one day in my office of my new position, I received a phone call from another university that uh, was considering hiring him. They asked me the standard questions about how he was as a teacher and a colleague and so on and so forth. And then they asked me about alleged <clears throat> sexual misconduct. <clears throat> that wasn't exactly how they put it but that was definitely what they were looking to find out about. I was a little taken aback by the inquiry, and I didn't exactly know what to say, but I felt that I couldn't not address it. I, of course, did not go into any salacious details, 
But I did say that he was a physically affectionate man, but that I didn't believe that he would physically take advantage of a student. And I didn't really know what to say beyond that. But that indeed was the truth. I never thought that this man would actually enter into any kind of physical relationship with a student. That wasn't his motivation. I think he truly believed that he was helping the students, that he was supporting them, and that he was teaching them. And the way that he thought he had to do that was to create intimacy. And I also knew that he was doing that so he would feel loved and respected. And maybe that is how I justified not reporting him. But now I look back at all of these instances and I feel sick to my stomach. I feel sick that he would take advantage of his position and create an unsafe environment for these students. But mostly, I feel sick over the fact that I did nothing, absolutely nothing, to stop it. And in that way, I also abused those students because I enabled him to continue. I didn't protect them, and for that, I am truly ashamed. This is what I know for sure. I have been complicit. I know that is the same as my initial confession, but in trying to come up with some wisdom about what I've learned about this situation, the only thing that I can come up with is the fact that I was complicit and there was absolutely no excuse for it. We are now in a moment in a movement. Reading the stories of these incredibly brave women and men who have publicly come forward with their Me Too experiences, it's so empowering and so disheartening at the same time. What these people have endured and largely in silence for so long is beyond imagination. And the courage that it takes to stand up and be heard is incredibly admirable. I, of course, have had my own Me Too moments, but I was so conditioned to accept these misconducts as the norm, part of the business, men being just stupid, that I dismissed them and I filed them away as something that I just couldn't do anything about. And in any case, I didn't feel threatened or unsafe. I just felt annoyed and occasionally angry that these men in positions of power felt that they had the right to treat women that way. 
I accepted it. That was the way that the world was. But now women are standing up and they are calling bullshit on accepting this abusive world anymore. And we are all a part of it in some way or another. And these stories do not just shine a huge spotlight on the women and the perpetrators, but also on the enablers. You hear how Weinstein had a network of people who helped him provide the opportunity and victims for his abuses. And you think, how the hell could they do that? And you hear how everyone through the music world knew about James Levine's obsession with younger male musicians. I mean, I even knew about it. My roommate in college knew firsthand about it. And you think if everyone knew it, why wasn't anything done about it all of those years? Not to mention when you're in a restaurant and you see a man pinch a waitress's butt or you're in an office and you see a male worker, co-worker casually say to a secretary that her skirt is nice and short. Or you hear a teacher say to a student that she needs to feel it between her legs when she sings. Why don't you do anything about it? There's this TV show called What Would You Do? The producers stage these scenarios in a public place where some type of injustice is happening. A shopkeeper will not sell something to a patron because that patron is gay. Or a teenage child talks back to his white mother because she is dating a black man. Or a man is publicly body shaming a woman. So they film these scenarios and they focus on the people that are watching these injustices take place to see if they will step in and do anything about it. More often than not, most people will observe and judge, but not do anything. And then when you think all hope is lost, one righteous individual will step in and call out the abuser. I don't watch it on a regular basis, honestly, because it makes me uncomfortable. When I watch these scenarios of major or minor injustices happening, I become so outraged, not only at the people who are doing the injustice, even though it's just acting, but also at the people who witness it and don't do anything. But if I'm being honest... I have been the person who has done nothing. I have witnessed injustices and abuse and consciously chose not to get involved because I was fearful of confrontation or I didn't have the time to do the follow through or I just didn't want to get involved. And now I am faced with the fact that I did not protect young innocent people from being abused by a fellow teacher. When I knew it was happening, I knew it was wrong, and I knew I could have helped. I could have talked to him about it. I honestly, although perhaps naively, believe that had I called him out on it, he would have listened to me. 
Not that it would have changed his behavior, but I know that he respected me and my opinion of him. I could have reported him to the dean. I could have advised the students to come forward and report him and given them the support that they needed to do it. But I didn't do any of those things. And because of that, I have been complicit. I am fully aware that some of you may listen to this and completely judge me on my negligence. You may be outraged that I witnessed these things and didn't do anything about it. Others of you may think that I can't beat myself up about it. It's in the past and there's nothing to be done about it now. And maybe admitting this all in this podcast is an attempt to try to forgive myself, a way to move past my guilt. But the biggest thing is that I have to take this watershed moment as an opportunity. I have to stand up. I have to speak out. I have to protect those who cannot protect themselves. I can't be afraid to get involved. And I know that it is much easier to say it than it is to do it. But this is the moment that I have to choose to do better. So here's my inspiration for the week. I actually have two quotes this week. One quote is a comment on the sin of complicity. And the other quote is one that can hopefully move us forward into doing better. The first quote is by Abraham Lincoln. To sin by silence when they should protest makes cowards of men. And the second is a mantra that popped up on the interwebs that spoke to me. I am committed to being a better person today than I was yesterday. Better thoughts, better decisions, better actions. That's all we can do, right? Thank you so much for listening. I'm really grateful for you being on this journey with me. Please join me next week where my next confession is, I'm not sure that I'm a great friend. And remember, the only response to the question, how are you, is fabulous. <laughs>